I have a question for all of you. Have you ever wondered, how could God use someone like me? Maybe you're not smart as others, or as fast as others, or as strong as others. And maybe you haven't been given an ability you wanted. And maybe you pray to God asking, why don't I have this? You maybe have been broken, you've been hurt, and you don't know why. Have you ever felt this way? Because I sure have. Why is that? Why can't we be happy with the traits and abilities we have that has God has given us? What does being different truly mean? Welcome to the Empower Youth Service. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am Jared Anakin Filto. I have come to pre preach on the behalf of the Empower Youth, so you know that's what I'm going to do. Um, uh, Empower Youth is the youth group we have going on here. We meet uh, every night at 6 p.m. on Sundays. And uh, so, yeah, a little bit of information about myself. Um, I've been going to church here for all my life, so about 16 years. Um, I am a junior at Sheboygan Christian High School, and I've been going to Sheboygan Christian for about mm, seven years of my life. Um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, as most of you know, and I am an only child. Fun fact about me, I am part Native American. I know I don't look like it, but I am. <laughs> I, um, when I was younger, I went to a Native American powwow, and my mom came up to me and said, Jared, you are the whitest Native American here. <laughs> my exact response was, no, I'm not white. I'm just lighter. <laughs> Looking back, no, I'm definitely white. I am a white, part Native American kid who is 16 years old doing a youth service in front of all of you nice people. I don't know anyone out there like me. And I am different than anyone else in this room. But what does it truly mean to be different? Well, if we go to the Webster's Dictionary, being different is defined as being unlike someone else or not the same as each other or unlike each other. Synonyms are unlike or divergent. What this kind of means is that being different is you are not what uh, you are your own person. You're not someone else. But that doesn't mean that you don't have what someone else does have. That's, that's not what it means. What it means is that you are your own person. You're not your neighbor. You're not your brother, your sister, anyone. You're just you. Being different is having different abilities who define who you are and what you want to be. We're going, and I can prove all this by one simple way. We're going to do a yes and no questionnaire. All right, simple thing. All right, I'm going to ask three simple questions. And if the answer is yes, you raise your hand. If the answer is no, you, you keep your hand down. All right, we're going to start off with a super simple one. All right, how many of you are a son or a daughter? Look at that. You all understand how this works. There we go. All right, that, that's that easy. All right. Second one is going to be a little less hands, but that's fine. All right, how many of you are not originally from Sheboygan? All right, a little less hands, that's fine. That's perfectly fine, that's normal. And last question, how many of you are left-handed? Wow, even less hands. That's perfectly fine. See, right there, I proved that not every single one of you are the same person. You all have different abilities. You're not all the left-handed, you're not all from Sheboygan, you're all different. 
You can all put your hands down, which you have. Um, <laughs> see, even if you are a twin or a brother or sister, you are all different in your own way. You are not all clones of each other. Little Star Wars reference. <laughs> so, to show that we are not all different, we have to understand that God makes us different and uses us in our own ways. To do that, we are going to read a story about a man who is different than anyone of his time and was used by God in a big way. We'll be in our Bibles in Judges 3, verses 13, uh, 12 through 30. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to that. I'll give you a little bit of time to uh, turn in your Bibles. And if you don't have your Bible here, uh, we will have the verses up on the screen so that you can follow along. And I will start off by reading through these verses to get you a little feel of what the story is about. So, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Gathering the Amorites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and they took possession of the city of the Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a double-edged sword, about a cubit long, with which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothes. He presented his tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who is a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent away the, those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone's images near Gilgal, he himself turned back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave me. And they all left him. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting on the, uh, alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have, a se I have a message from you from God. And the king rose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. And the handle sank in after the blade, and the bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull out the sword, for the fat had closed over it. Then Ehud went to the porch. They shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked him. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment, and then he, did not open, and he still did not open the doors. Then they took the key and unlocked the doors, and behold, they saw their lord fallen on the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with which he led them. He said, Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord had given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down, looked, took possession of the fords of the Jordan and let, that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At the time, they struck down 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. No one escaped. In that day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Well, that's an interesting story. That's really interesting that the Bible has described that. But, I mean, let's look at our characters in a different way. I mean, it's easy to just read this, but you kind of need some visuals to kind of go along with this. And I found a way that... I think you'll all understand the visualization. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> there was a man named Luke, and he built his own lightsaber. And he had to go visit the mob boss, Jabba the Hutt, but to do so, he had to get past the guards. So in doing that, he then took 
his lightsaber and hit it and destroyed R2-D2 so he can get past the guards. Now that we can all see these people, we're going to also watch a short video about kind of what that's about. Well, now we can see that uh, there's different connections between Star Wars and the Bible a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, now, let's see what God is really showing us in these verses. Why is this important? Why does God really tell us this story? Well, if we go back and look, at the, uh, look in deeper, we'll find some interesting stuff about the verses. So I'm you know, going to go back to um, verse 12. Now the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ooh, shocking. That never happens. The Israelites never disobey. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now he had gathered himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and went and defeated Israel, and possessed the city of the Palms. The sons of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. So our story begins, like most stories in Judges, that the Israelites are disobeying God, and God's kind of getting fed up with it. And so he strengthens Eglon, king of Moab, to come and take this. Now, the first line, now the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, is quite an interesting one. It's not meaning that the Israelites forgot to pray once or twice or just was like, you know, not reading their Bible at all. That's not what that, that, word is, that phrase is meaning. What it's meaning is that they were actively rebelling against God, that they were disobeying his word, turning away from him, doing all nasty stuff. And the phrase also is used in the book of Judges over six times in just Judges alone. And that's a lot of times for just the book of Judges. Now that they set up Eglon, king of Moab, who is the big bad, or Jabba the Hutt as we've seen. And um, this is what God wants. God has gone on the side of the bad guys to prove to Israel that he is in control. And he strengthened Eglon, and they took the possession of the city of the Palms. Now, the city of the Palms, if you don't understand that, that in Bible history is the city of Jericho, which the city of Jericho, coincidentally, is the first victory that the Israelites have ever achieved. This just goes to show how far the Israelites have fallen if the one city they had their greatest victory is where their enemy is holding their kingdom. That is pretty far to fall, I have to say. Now, if we continue to verse 15, but when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute to him for King Eglon of Moab. Now we meet our hero of the story, Ehud, the left-handed judge, son of Gera, Benjamite. Now, these, this character is different. And the two details that they describe him as is pretty key points. For starters, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and the tribe of Benjamin is the smallest tribe of Israel. Benjamin, the name, actually refers to son of my right hand, which is kind of ironic. He's left-handed, so. But because he's the smallest tribe, he is not cared for as much. He is basically useless. Everyone who is ever scared or in need of something, and they don't want to do something because they're too afraid to do it, you always send the person who is least important to do that task. And in that case, that's Ehud. So Ehud was also a left-handed man, 
which I know we have a whole bunch of left-handed people, and, you know, left-handed people are great, but in the time of the Bible and in history, left-handed people were not considered normal. They were abused, they were shunned, they were considered to have a flaw or defect. And if you ever had a left-handed child, you were highly, highly influenced to correct that flaw and make them right-handed, which is kind of cruel. And also, they're considered to be evil. The Latin word sinister, which is Latin for left-handed. And we use that term for a whole bunch of different uses. We use it for bad guys in movies or just criminals in some cases. And that's left-handed people. That's kind of cruel, I have to say. Um, but one of the things that's great about this is that Ehud did not, lose, did not feel he was flawed. I mean, yeah, he probably was abused, and he probably asked God, why do I have this? But God used him in a special way because he was left-handed. He was unnoticeable. He was small. And when we look at this, we need to accept our differences so that God can use us to do extraordinary things. That's what Ehud did. As we continue to um, verse 16, Ehud made himself a sword, which is two edges, about a cubit in length, and bound it to his right thigh under his cloak. Well, he was pretty smart, I have to say. Now, if that verse kind of confuses you of why he strapped his sword to his right thigh if he's left-handed, let me kind of explain that. If you're left-handed, you would always draw your sword from your right thigh so that if you drew the sword, it would act natural. If you were right-handed, you would have it strapped to your left side. That seems right. And a cubit in length, that's not... When it says sword and a cubit in length, it doesn't mean like humongous sword. He can't hide it under his cloak. It's about a foot and a half or about 18 inches is a cubit. So pretty easy to hide under a long cloak. And so he now has his weapon... And he's got to get to the, uh, he has to get to Eglon. And he has his tribute. He's getting ready. But there's a problem. The guards. There's always a problem. You always got to have a big problem coming along. And the guards, that were his problem. So he, to get past the guards, you have to get searched. But he's got a sword on him. He's going to get caught. Actually not. The guards, or basically Bible Times TSA, um, went and searched him. And... Um, they searched for a sword on his left side, but assuming he was right-handed. And so they found no sword, but they did not search his right side. In my opinion, they were lazy, and they just wanted to get off work early, so they did not search their sword. They did not search his right side for a sword. That meant Ehud, now has a sword, going to meet the king. What a great time. <laughs> now if we continue... In verse 17, he presented a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Now, the tribute here is basically paying off the mob boss for protection. You know, small tribe, of, small tribe of Israel, they need to make the king look presentable, keep him happy so that they don't get beat up. But if you also read, it says, now, Eglon was a very fat man. That seems kind of cruel and demeaning to you, doesn't it? I mean, why would the Bible say he's fat? I mean, that's kind of mean. Well... In the Bible, it, when it says fat, it doesn't mean that he's fat. It means he's more of the line of selfish, lazy, or arrogant. 
But in this case, he also means fat. <laughs> Ironically, the name Eglon means fat ox. Clap out for those parents. <laughs> now, the first time I read this story, I was eight years old. And being an eight-year-old, when I hear this story and I hear fat man, I don't know why, maybe it's because of my middle name being Anakin or my parents being humongous Star Wars fans, but I instantly thought of Jabba the Hutt. Instantly. He is fat. Instantly what I think of. So, we continue to verse 18. And it came about when he had finished presenting the tribute, they sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols, which were at Gilgal, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silent. And all who's, those who were with him left him. Ehud came in while he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from you from God. And he arose from his seat. Ehud presents his tribute, and the king likes it. And then Ehud says he has his message from God for Eglon. Now, I mean, yeah, he's going to kill the king, but messages from God doesn't always mean that they're good. Sometimes it means that, hey, they're bad. They're, you're messed up. You're going to die. And in this case, that's what Ehud was telling the king. And you're wondering why probably his servants left him. I mean, if the guy has a sword, why you leave him? But... They left him because of what Ehud said. He said, I have a secret message from you, uh, from God. Now, secret in the Bible means one-on-one, -on -one, not like, oh, it's just hush, hush, keep it silent between us. No, no, no. It means one person to another inf relays information. That's what secret means. Eglon, being a great king, knows this. He knows that it's one-on-one, -on -one, so he sends out his servants. That's exactly what Ehud wants. Ehud is now alone with the king. Now, if we go to verse 21, Ehud stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. The handle went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly. And the refuse came out, basically poop. And then Ehud went out to the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. So, if you read this, you have to wonder one key point. How fat is this king? <laughs> he is stabbed by a foot and a half long sword, and the fat closes in over it, and he can't pull out a sword that long. That's, ugh, that's big. That's, oh boy. Now after the deed is done, Ehud then locks the door behind him and jumps out the window. King's dead, Ehud has victorious. In the next verse, when Ehud had gone out, the servants had came and looked, and behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. And he said, he is only relieving himself in the cool room. They waited to the point of being anxious, but he still did not old open the doors of the roof chamber. Therefore, they took the key and opened the door, and behold, their master had fallen on the floor dead. Now Ehud had escaped while they were delaying, and he passed by the idols and escaped to Sarah. Now, when it says cool room, this room what doesn't mean it's great aesthetics. No, no, no. A cool room is a room high above in the, in the castle of the king. It is the highest level, and that is where the wind is redirected into the room. Because you're in the desert of Israel, it's kind of hot. So if you have a room designated as the cool room where the wind just blows right in and cools everyone off, it's the best room in the whole place. And that's where Eglon is. 
However, Eglon is dead, and when the wind's blowing, it's blowing the smell of his body all throughout the castle. So everyone's upset because something smells, and they go up to see their king, and they think he's going to the bathroom. Which you're wondering, why is he doing that in his throne room? Why is he doing that? Well, coincidentally, in ancient history, the throne, or the king's chair, was a toilet. That's why sometimes people nowadays call the toilet the throne. Because if you have a hole right there, the king doesn't have to move. He can just sit and have everything come to him. You don't need to do anything. So they think he's going to the bathroom. He's dead. And no one knows anything about it. The next thing, how long did the um, servants wait until they opened the door? Because it said that he had escaped while they were delaying. So they did not notice he was dead until after Ehud had left. Now, he left to Sirah, which I did math of Google, of Google Maps and a little bit of Bible Maps, and Sirah is 21 miles away from Jericho. Now, even if he runs on foot or horse, that's a long ways to go in an amount of time. That means the servants waited that long to go and see the king was dead. They had no idea for that long. Now, Let's wrap this up, the story up a little bit. It came down about when he had arrived, and he blew the trumpet in the country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel went down with him to the hill country and was in front of them. He said to them, Pursue them, for the Lord had given your enemies the Moabites into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite of Moab and did not allow anyone to cross. They struck down at that time about 10,000 Moabites, all robust and valiant men. No one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was undisturbed for 80 years. That's a great ending to a story. Israel, they fixed their problems. They, they did great. They've killed their enemy, safe for 80 years. It's all back to normal. That's great. Good triumphs, defeats evil. That's, that's great. All right, that's the story. All right. So... If we go a little deeper into what this means and kind of see how this is, is in our lives, it means more than just what the Bible is saying. Now, Ehud to society was flawed, all right? He was a left-handed man. He was abused for that. He was from the smallest tribe. He was abused for that. He was flawed, and he was abused. Does that mean that he's... Not different? No, he's different. And God used that difference. Being different doesn't mean you will, always ne you will never face opposition. In my life, I have struggled with being different. In some cases, I don't feel like I fit in. I'm, I love sci-fi. I'm an only child. I don't like cars. I don't like sports. I'm not like that. I'm not athletic, fast, or strong. I'm... I'm weird. Sometimes I ask God why I don't have talents, like athletic, being strong, anything like that. And it's difficult to handle sometimes. But the easiest thing that people do, which is not right, is they just put up a face and, assume that and make it look like everything's fine. It's not fine. If you put on a face to hide what you're truly feeling, you're not being different. You're just being like everyone else, scared and afraid of being who you are. 
And I've, I have accepted being different, and I have a story about how I was different. When I was going to middle school, I was just moved there, graduated fifth grade, and I moved to Sheboygan Christian School, middle school. And um, it's a great place, great, great place. But because I moved to a new school, I, I only knew one person. And that person, he was in the sports team, and, well, that wasn't me. I'm not a humongous fan of sports, so I didn't hang out with him as much. And being an only child, I'm, I'm kind of used to being alone. I'm kinda, it's kind of normal, and I'm fine with it. Um, but when I walked through the halls, every teacher who I had said that I had an attitude of, this is me, take it or leave it. And that's how I walked through the halls. Does that mean I never faced opposition? Absolutely not. No, I was, I was bullied. I was harassed. And I was, done, it was, I was bullied for not conforming to what others wanted and being myself. I wasn't what they were. I was myself. And it was tough to take some days. Some days it was, it was the worst day. But it doesn't mean I didn't have friends. On my first day of school, I, um, I was going to lunch. It's lunchtime. Perfect way to make friends, right? So I'm getting there. I, you know, the one person I know, he's sitting with his friends. He's chatting. They're laughing. They're having fun. I'm going to go sit down with him. But out of the corner of my eye, I see something. I see a kid sitting alone at a table. And the kid, there's no one else nearby. And for some odd reason, I heard a voice in my head saying, Sit, near, sit with this kid. I have never met this kid in my life before. I had no idea who he was, but I just heard a voice in my head saying, sit with this kid. So I sat down, I introduced myself, and we started talking. We had a lot in common. We got along real nice. We liked sci-fi, we liked geeky type things, and we got along quite well. That kid is still my friend to my day. He's one of the closest friends I have. And looking back at that, I see that God chose me to sit next to that kid and make him my friend. If I didn't sit next to that kid, I have no idea where I would be that day, that, right now. I would not know where I would be right now. And looking back at my middle school time, I would not change a single thing. Everything I did in middle school has a purpose. I am different and proud of it. So is everyone here. Everyone at this youth service is, be, is being different. We got Garrett. He was my hype man. He's doing tech right now. We got Jeremiah. We got Wyatt. They're doing our ushers. We got Josiah. We got Hannah. They were our greeters. And they did a great job. We got our worship team. Jace, Micah, Hala, Maya, and Sawyer. All of them came up here and played music just for you. All of them came out of their comfort zones to play music just for you and do this youth service for you guys. And they're different. Why did God use Ehud? Because he was different. He was left-handed. A right-handed man would never have gotten past the guards. He would have been stopped right there, arrested, and Israel would be under Moab's rule. But God used his difference to have a future for the Israelites. God used me being an only child and the love for sci-fi to befriend someone who was alone, which gave me one of my best friends.
How will God use you? Now, some of you probably think, well, why can God use me? All right, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm broken. I'm not great. I mean, people in the Bible, they're great. They're perfect. They have great backgrounds. They're great guys. But if you look deeply at the people in the Bible, you can see that they are all flawed and broken. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moab, Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. <laughs> and you seriously don't think that God can use you? All those people, they were broken. They were abused. And they were different. I'm calling you to be different in your life. When I look at you, not a single person is the same. If you're a twin, brother, sister, or a family member, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who your parents are, where you work. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It only matters of who you are and how you are going to be different. Each person is your own person, unlike anyone else in this room. How is God using you to be different? And how are you going to react to his call? Now, I'm not saying being different is going to be easy, all right? We're all going to have problems. But problems help us. They teach us about what is true. When was the last time you brought your plans to God? God is always there. He will always be with you. Does it? No matter who you are, left-handed, right-handed, from Oostburg, Sheboygan, Oshkosh, anybody, anywhere, God is always with you. God's knocking at your door. Will you answer him? Let's pray. Oh God, we have been made in your image. We are left-handed, right-handed, and ambidextrous. You can use this one and all. Help us to see what you're doing in our lives. Help us to seek your will and help us to be faithful and obedient servants. As we leave this place, let us know of your power. Let us go into the world being different and proud of being different. Amen.